This is episode number 10 of the School of Success podcast series with the amazing and truly inspiring Anna Lancaster, a licensed rapid transformational therapist and certified hypnotherapist and founder of Anna Lancaster Therapy, the Belgravia-based therapy practice helping clients get unstuck and upgrade their lives across a whole host of areas. Welcome to the School of Success podcast series. My name is Melanie Pritchard, former lawyer turned success coach and corporate wellbeing trainer. And each month we bring you an inspiring person and message to help you discover the tools for creating happiness in the widest sense. Thank you so much everyone for spending some time with me today. Now, without further ado, let the class begin. Gabor Mate, the acclaimed trauma therapist, said, We may not be responsible for the world that created our minds, but we can take responsibility for the mind with which we create our world. We have a very special guest on today's episode of the School of Success podcast series, Anna Lancaster, founder and licensed rapid transformational therapist and certified hypnotherapist at Anna Lancaster Therapy, a London-based therapy practice affecting transformational change in people's lives across a real range of areas from career, love, to parenting and beyond. Having graduated with a degree in economics, Anna then went on to work as a marketing director across a whole host of industries, from radio, theatre, film, all the way through to fashion, before moving forward and starting her own acclaimed marketing consultancy. And in suitably entrepreneurial fashion, Anna then retrained as a certified rapid transformational therapist, which saw her pivoting successfully into the therapy world, creating her own business from scratch. Some of the topics we'll be covering today include how stress works in the brain and where our thoughts and beliefs really come from, why our internal monologue is so important to true happiness and success, why childhood is so critical in the development of identity, where trauma comes from and top tips for parenting truly happy future adults. Finally, the three root causes that lie at the base of all unhappiness and dysfunction and how you can upgrade your life through working effectively with your subconscious. And after that rather teasing introduction, I hope that you're as excited as I really was to meet the truly inspiring and talented Anna Lancaster. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the one, the only, Anna Lancaster. Welcome to the School of Success podcast, Anna. We're absolutely thrilled to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you for having me today. <laughs> I'm so excited about this one. I think it's such um, an interesting subject that listeners are going to be nuts about. So um, without further ado, why don't we plunge in, Anna? Perhaps you could give us a little intro or summary of, of what you do. 
Okay, so I am what is called a rapid transformational therapy practitioner. Um, it's a very pioneering hybrid type of therapy, which utilizes different types of therapy rather than going down the line of one. It uses psychotherapy, NLP, neurolinguistic programming, CBT, mm. cognitive behavioral therapy, and hypnotherapy to essentially get to the root cause of an issue very rapidly and then change it and create long-lasting positive change in someone's life. Gosh, that sounds, it actually sounds quite miraculous is what it sounds like. Um, that sounds pretty unusual, Anna. I mean, I don't know about other people, but we obviously hear about like psychotherapy and you know, traditional therapy might be a silly question, but how is, how is rapid transformational therapy different? It uses, it uses a, a variety of different techniques. I mean, with um, psychotherapy, that's very much you go in and you talk you talk your way through a problem and you can you can go and be with a, a psychotherapist for many many years you know you go back every week mm. this type of therapy is is one which you use the different elements and within ideally one session but you know it can be one to three but within a rapid period of time you can make positive change because it were unlike traditional type of therapies you're working with the subconscious mind which mm. is something which is very difficult to tap into when you're using your conscious mind your thinking mind um which is what you would do in psychotherapy mm. um very much kind of the theory behind it is i mean we are kind of from a programming period between the ages of naught and seven so between the ages of naught and seven we're in a lower brainwave state Mm -hmm. so if you imagine the theta brainwave so we're coming from a place where we have zero logic and we're like little sponges and we just mm -hmm. take absolutely everything in we you're you're you, you, if you can imagine you've got no conscious really because you're coming from that place of no logic yeah. so you attach meaning to things which as an adult you you would you would come from a place of logic my example is with with my son he's seven years old so at the end of this the scale but he will see me on my phone and he will say to me, mummy, mummy, mummy. And I'm obviously just doing an email. So to an adult, the adult sat there going, yes, she's just um, she's just doing an email, doing work. My son, depending on what his train of thought is, might think the phone is more important than me. Mm. I'm calling my mummy, the one who loves me, but this bit of plastic is more important than me. And mm. so he then, other beliefs might, might trail in as he gets older and older, which lead him to feel he's unlovable. It's the meaning that a child attaches to it. And wow. from those pivotal ages, that's essentially your programming period. So between those ages, you get your, your beliefs on your health, your beliefs on your wealth, and your beliefs on um, your lovability um, wow. and love. Goodness. That. So it's, it's quite a powerful time. And this is more important when you actually realize when you get into your adult life, where we are now, your day is run 95% by your subconscious mind. So mm. your naught seven, mm. which is essentially where, you know, you, you create your beliefs and only 5% by your logical mind, your conscious mind. So when you put it in perspective of that, you know, we often haven't upgraded our software to our current age because we're still feeling and the feeling emotion always overtakes logic. We're yeah. feeling with what our belief system is. Gosh. Wow, whenever um whenever I hear you explain it like that, it 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 almost frightens me the power that parents have over their children because there aren't any sort of parenting masterclasses, are there? You, you you know you get pregnant, you have a baby, you sort of just bumble along and do your best, and actually, it sounds like you can cause quite a lot of damage between that zero and seven age range. Yeah, it is worrying. But I always say to all my friends who ask me, you know, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? I mean, you know, it's 
ultimately it's the meaning that the child attaches and it's mm. and then that's supported by other beliefs that they that they come across that kind of support that belief so you know a child can go through an immense amount of trauma but it won't necessarily apply a negative belief to that or a, mm. attach a bad belief to that whereas a child another child can go through very little trauma but actually can come out with the core belief that they're unlovable <laughs> like I mentioned with my son when I'm using my phone yeah. if that was the outcome there so it's the one thing I always say to my friends the one bit of advice that I say is always always admit if you're wrong mm-hmm. um mm. because you're if a child questions their own belief system and if you say that they're wrong and that gives them a low sense of self-worth and they won't necessarily believe in themselves because they will think they're wrong so always 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 apologize and admit if you're in the wrong yeah um just try and explain as much to them you know explain situations where you can see that from their mind they might think a different outcome just um try and try and explain it in their words. (laughs) Well, that's really helpful. I'm going to remember that one for the future. Thanks, Anna. Free parenting advice. I'm so interested. I was so staggered when you told me that we can operate, like, I think you said 95% out of our subconscious because, you know, I'm sure so many of your clients get so bogged down in thinking and logic. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, there's a book um, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which Mm -hmm. um, is is quite a famous book. And it goes back to, the study of um, a child that grows up in a rich family and a child that grows up in, a, in a, a poor family and the beliefs because they're literally they learn rich beliefs so they they literally they they're programmed in a, in, a, in a wealthy way so they go to school and school might teach them one business plus two business equals three business and then you'll have a child who goes to a poorer school and it might be one apple plus two apples equals three apples so the the way they think is in two very different ways and yeah. so then naturally you can have a less intelligent wealthy person but they've grown up in that environment whereby they then naturally behave in that way. So they naturally make choices and decisions that support that way of life. And so for them, they might, as soon as their conscious mind kicks in, they might mess up. But then as soon as their subconscious goes back to that, they they make the right choices. It's quite fascinating. It is fascinating. So am I right in thinking then, Anna, based on what you said, that obviously our subconscious is hugely um, influential, even though we might not realise what's really going on because it's separate to our conscious mind. Um, But our subconscious sort of self is is formed when we're really little yeah you can check i mean what do i do i mean your subconscious mind as you get older the way you program it then is by repetition Hmm. so when you do things for example i always use driving a car when you're first learning to drive imagine when you think about how to do the clutch the gears and you you think about everything and then you do it so many times and you repeat it you repeat it you repeat it and then it becomes natural you get in the car now you don't even think about how you change the gears or, or, or drive the car you just drive to a destination hmm. um as you get older you learn by repetition and so one of the thing the way that um the type of therapy i do works is you i do three things i investigate the issue with them so if someone comes to me with with an issue um i brought this works on a variety of things i could touch on but anything from weight loss to insomnia to fears to phobias to hmm. infertility to addiction stress Whatever it is they come to me with, we analyze the issue. I will then take them back into a hypnotized state. So in that hypnotized state, we unlock their subconscious. So you go into an alpha, closer to a theta brainwave. Mm. And then there, I will take them back to three three or four scenes which link to the issue. 
Mm -hmm. They tend to be different times throughout their life, but the core, the core root cause is often when they're when they're younger, between the ages of north and seven. Mm -hmm. um, or if something that's happened later in life, it can be there. And then we work together to show how those issues from earlier life link to how they're behaving today. And then we interrupt it. So within that state, we interrupt it and we form new beliefs. So you get rid of all of the old stuff the outdated, the outdated beliefs, and then we put in the new ones and we install. So that's the final part of it, you install. And then I create an audio, a hypnotized audio bespoke to the client, which then they listen to for 21 days, which just solidifies, it's that repetition um, that then solidifies the new behavior. And it's, oh. it's, it's fascinating to see how rapid the change is within a client. And literally when they come in, you can see them often uptight and everything. And as they come out, they, I mean, the, the common thing they say is they feel lighter and you can see the shoulders have dropped there. Mm. They just feel that they've made such a change in their life. Wow, gosh, it sounds so seductive, to be honest. It does sound miraculous, really. And um, I know just before this, we were chatting about fertility and you were saying, well, I'll let you, know, let you tell the listeners what you were telling us about in terms of how you can support people with fertility problems. Because I was, I was absolutely amazed to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously there's different types of fertility. So if you, there is an issue physically with the body, um, that's that's something that works is worked on in a different way of the medical. Mm. But unexplained infertility, where there is absolutely nothing wrong with with the person physically, but they just can't get pregnant. And when I've worked with clients in the past, and there's one in particular, and the common theme is always going back to when you're 16 years old and you don't want to get pregnant, and you're telling your mind, <laughs> I don't want to get pregnant. I will kill, I will get killed. My dad will kill me if I get pregnant. I will die if I get pregnant. And you're telling your brain these things. And so your brain is hardwired to take you, well, basically your brain's there for survival. The one purpose of your brain is for survival. So it takes you away from pain and towards pleasure. And when you're telling it, I'm going to die if I, if I get pregnant, I'm going to, my dad will kill me. Your brain then says, right, okay, gotcha. You don't wanna get pregnant. So at 16 or 17 or whatever, that's when we got down to that root cause of, I don't want to get pregnant, which at 16, you know, that makes sense. That's, that's a belief that works for you. Fast forward to 36, 37, and you're spending X amount on IVF. It doesn't quite work. Yeah. So I went in, we found these scenes, we interrupted them, and then we reinstalled the new beliefs that she wanted to get pregnant. She was excited to get pregnant. Wow. The one thing, I mean, one of the big rules of the mind is that your mind does exactly what it thinks you want it to do. So if you're telling it, I don't want to get pregnant, you won't get pregnant. Wow. If, you know, if you're, your, brain, your brain literally does what you tell it to do. And if you've repeated so many times that that's the case, it's, it's very difficult to, to change in a lot of people. It's quite scary, and isn't it? In particular, within her second cycle, she, she became pregnant. That's amazing. It's, yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's make a difference work right there, Anna. I mean, wow. I presume she sent you a big bottle of champagne or flowers. <laughs> My goodness me. That's really powerful. The kind yeah. of mind, the mind body connect and the power of thought, isn't it? And it's just amazing that you as a sort of practitioner are able to essentially help reprogram people's thoughts and their beliefs to affect huge change. It is, it's mind blowing. Totally. I mean, one of the things we we do literally create our own reality. Um, mm. Our brain, our mind responds to two things: it's the words you say to yourself mm -hmm. and the pictures you make in your head. Mm. So, for example, 
um, a needle. A needle to one person could mean relief from pain. To another person, it's absolute fear because they're petrified of needles. Someone else, they want Botox. They're like, it's going to make me beautiful. I love it. Yeah. And then you get a heroin addict and they feel the, the love. So it's the meaning you attach to that is essentially what is your reality. Absolutely. I always use another one with people who are scared of flying. There was this one lady I was talking to and she her, her words were, I am I'm not going on that plane. She's like, I'm not going on that plane because it to me it's a coffin in the sky. And when you're telling oh. your brain that that's a coffin in the sky, there is no way you want to get on that plane. Whereas if you're telling yourself that plane is going to take me to paradise, <laughs> I'm going to get off that plane, I'm going to walk on the beach and that's paradise. Those two realities are very different. And that's yeah. that's just two different people's, two different ways of thinking. Wow. So it, you know, change the pictures to good pictures. <laughs> that's really powerful, Anna. And um, you posted an amazing post the other day, which I found really helpful um, about, well, sort of, I guess, similar to what you're saying about the sort of similar, the similar ways that anxiety and excitement manifest in the body. Um, yeah. I mean, it's um, with, the, essentially they, create the same reaction. Yeah. So when you have fear, your hypothalamus tells your brain to get your, you get sweaty palms, your nerves start to increase, your breathing increases, your heart rate increases, but it's exactly the same reaction as excitement. Mm -hmm. um, so that fear and excitement, the only difference is to the bodily reaction is what you tell yourself. So if you tell yourself, when you're when you're scared you're going up and you're going up on stage rather than telling yourself when you've got sweaty palms this is scary i don't want to do this you say no 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 this is exciting i would love to do this yeah and stage fright's a big one in which the this image um bruce springsteen the the boss he he loved going on stage he would go on stage and he'd be like it feels like sex it feels amazing it feels thrilling i love it and he went up on stage and he performed, but sadly, Karen Carpenter, amazing singer, so talented, but was petrified because that same feeling, she told herself she was scared and she was yeah. nervous. And so her experience was very different. Wow. It's the way you experience different things is very much what you tell yourself. That's so really- I would say to anyone, next time you're feeling nervous, tell yourself you're feeling excited, trick your brain, lie to your brain. Your brain doesn't know. You tell it what, it, what that feeling means to you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, wow. Again, that's just such a great nugget of wisdom. We're much more in control than we realise, aren't we? And that was interesting, that example you gave of Karen Carpenter, Anna. Um, she had suffered with anorexia, didn't she, I think? And sadly died. Sadly, yeah. Sadly, yeah. And sadly died. But um, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's very interesting how what you tell your brain manifests your life. Yeah, um, essentially. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I don't want to kind of make assumptions about, you know, Karen Carpenter, but is it the I mean, is it the case that if if you don't get a handle on you know your your inner monologue and the images and the words that it it can tip you towards like mental illness? Yeah, I mean, one of the things with depression that one of the big causes is is that the harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say to yourself. I mean, that's one of the biggest causes. There are others, so not following your heart's desire and mm -hmm. social issues and lack of connection, but ultimately those words you tell yourself if you're i always use this as an example you know if you're you wake up and you've got your best friend there and they wake up with you in the morning they go 
into the bathroom with you you're looking in the mirror and they're sat there going god you look terrible today look at those wrinkles look at those lines you look awful and then you go into the kitchen and make yourself a cup of coffee and they're like god you've made a terrible cup of coffee that's awful and then you get them in the car and they're like god you missed the bend you're an idiot you're an absolute idiot you're not going to make to work on time then you get to work and they're criticizing you all day that friend wouldn't be around too often but imagine that that's what you say to yourself Yep. You use those words to yourself. And if you're telling yourself you're stupid, you're an idiot, those words, they, they really go in. And it is more than just, you know, affirmations. You you dialogue with your mind. You tell yourself good stuff. Yeah. And, um, and it will show, you know, it's it's kind of, it's not a fake it till you make it criteria, but you're, you're telling yourself good things. Yeah. It's the, pre- I mean, one of the things that another rule of the mind is that, you know, the mind loves what is familiar mm. and doesn't like avoids and hates what is unfamiliar i mean this is shown like with children if you remember when you're little and you'd all drink from the same cup or you'd watch the same movie over yeah. and over again <laughs> hardwired to love what is familiar because you know go back to tribal times you know you you ate the same foods you you, you stayed in the same place because you knew it's safe you know familiarity mm-hmm. was was safe and mm-hmm. ultimately that, that kept you um, alive yeah. and so the same thing kind of happens with life but then so many people praise is unfamiliar you grow up and possibly you don't get praise from your parents or you don't get praise at school or all these things happen and you, you certainly don't tell yourself we're not brought up in a in a world where we're, we're told to really g ourselves up and like tell yeah. yourself good things but gosh if you praise familiar it's it's a it's a much better way to to be absolutely one of the other thing familiarity is like for example i had a, a client she always chose the wrong men yeah. She'd always go out with terrible. I mean, I think we all. <laughs> I know. I was laughing because I was thinking I've definitely been there myself. <laughs> but she would because for that that was that was familiar to her. So yep. it wasn't good for her, but it was familiar to her. Like her dad used to criticise her. Her dad was horrendous to her, um, and that was familiar. So that felt safe. Um, mm. So we worked with. She met this guy, and he was so nice to her. And it made her feel instantly uncomfortable. She's like, you know, he's too nice. He's too good for me. That doesn't feel right. Um, but actually, when we worked with her and we we worked to make nice familiar, and then and then she she ended up accepting it and accepted she deserved it. And actually, wow, you know, she was lovable. Making that behaviour familiar um, sometimes familiar doesn't necessarily work in our favour. Yeah, <laughs> the mind likes it. Um, Absolutely. You know, the it's sort of um it can be the ego can't it trying to keep us safe and it's just it's just amazing how self-destructive humans can be when you were talking about you know like childhood sort of wounding and you know all of us adults were just walking around like sort of children aren't we really and it, it, it just boggles my mind and excites me so much the the change the positive impact you must have on so many people i mean for example you know you've just touched on relationships i i don't know about you anna but i've certainly been there without naming names in the past where i've dated men who were outwardly very successful, very together, very good looking, seemingly very confident, but deeply wounded. I mean, to the point of sort of self-harming, but that was totally invisible to others. um, And even maybe to me as a girlfriend, and that was all rooted in childhood. And actually when I sort of stood back and looked at maybe the behaviors of the mother, um, you know, like you say, complete lack of praise, maybe quite abusive behaviors. um, You can really see where that really fragile self-esteem that lurks within takes root. And it's just quite staggering that you can have these different faces that sort of give off one impression but actually inside like you say it can be a completely different story yeah no totally i mean 
it's one of the things I mean I work with a lot especially in in females um is self-esteem and confidence mm. um three of the very three of the three root causes which essentially cause most issues any issues really is the feeling of not being good enough mm-hmm. um the feeling of it's not available to me and the feeling of I'm different I can't connect with people and they're the three root causes and obviously obviously they kind of link down to to kind of everything that we have yeah. I, mean, I was working with I was working with a woman um on weight loss so she she had um she would always lose weight to to a really nice level and she was really happy but then she would pile it back on and she couldn't work out why why she was piling it back on and we we regressed her and it took it back to a various scenes but one in particular in her childhood when her stepdad was was beating her mother and she went in as a child went to try and protect her mother and her stepdad pushed her away and she came up with this belief that because children just want to fix things ultimately children want yeah. to help um and so she she came up with this belief that i have to be strong and i have to be big to be strong and being little is vulnerable mm-hmm. and unsafe so she would then grow up and when she grew up other things obviously supported that belief because when you have a belief you look for other things to support your belief yeah it's like the whole you know, i'm going to go buy a blue car and you see blue cars absolutely everywhere you do the same with your beliefs and you you go through that and um so she every time she would lose the weight she had this uncomfortable feeling this uncomfortable subconscious feeling of that she didn't she didn't feel comfortable so then she would automatically eat to become bigger to feel safe and we broke that you know we broke that belief that you know being being small doesn't mean being vulnerable yeah. you know you want to be you want to be like that so that's um, fascinating she's, she's steadily lost um, the weight and is keeping it off gosh i'd love to talk to you about weight loss <laughs> post lockdown <laughs> i'm sure half the country would <laughs> you could be flooded with with bookings post this <laughs> Well, it's fascinating with weight as well because, well, especially because uh, the way I describe the subconscious and the conscious mind is your subconscious mind is your feeling mind, your mm. kind of your how the way you feel about things. Your conscious mind is your thinking mind, it's your logic. Mm. And with weight, in particular, like um, as it well, eating, you eat a lot of comfort food because if you think the very first thing you eat when you're younger, you it's um it's, it's breast milk, which is which is warm and creamy. <laughs> and so then you grow up and you have treats and the treat is chocolate or a treat is sweets and it's mm. all sugary sweets. So then when you're looking for comfort when you're older, is it any wonder that you're sat there and you go for those types of foods because they provide comfort? So that's exactly how it was when you were younger. Yeah. And you find that when you're on a diet and you're sat there and you're, you know, you're like, no, no, shouldn't eat the ice cream, shouldn't eat the ice cream, trigger happens, makes you feel sad or upset or something. Your logical mind's going, no, I shouldn't eat that. I know if I eat that, I'm going to put on weight. Your subconscious mind is like, eat the, yeah. <laughs> eat the cake. Eats the ice cream. As you, you, you do that. That's yeah. um, that's the power, power of that thing. Wow. Gosh. So if I have children, I should be like, oh, here's a treat. Have a carrot, darling. <laughs> and they'll be really grateful when they're really slim and, you know, when they're kind of older and like, thanks, mummy. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah it's an interesting one what you what you associate so they associate my, my nan used to always cook cakes uh, like we used to bake cakes and that's my comforting thing it was like that's what I would then associate love love was with cakes so now if I'm ever feeling sad I'm head for um 
yeah, cakes. Absolutely. Oh, you're making me hungry. You're making me hungry and you also made breast milk sound so <laughs> desirable. I was like, gosh, I, I really took it for granted. It was so creamy and warm. It's a shame I can't remember that far. <laughs> Brilliant. Maybe there's a breast milk yeah. cocktail that should come out. <laughs> oh, they did have um, an ice cream. I remember in Covent Garden, they had a breast milk ice cream. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which wow. Was quite a, quite a market for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you a question, actually, Anna, around the subconscious, because it's so interesting and it's something I think, you know, a lot of us don't understand much about. Is it right that if you sort of feed, even if you kind of bomb yourself to destruction internally, if you feed yourself positive messaging enough um, that you can change those beliefs, even if you don't believe it yourself? Is that true? Is that kind of how affirmations work? It kind of, I mean, affirmations are, you know, they are kind of faking it till you make it with with the pro right, reprogramming the mind the best place to do it is when you're in a theta brainwave or an alpha brainwave when you're in that lower brainwave because it will stick right so that's why when, I, when you do hypnosis it takes you back there and then you reinstall these so when i do the i do the um the personalized audio for 21 days mm -hmm. and i always tell people i mean you can do it at any point of the day because it's a hypnosis to start with but i always tell my clients to try and do it at night because that's when you naturally start to go into a theta brainwave and it okay. tends to be most powerful um oh. and yeah they and it, it works although loads of them say to me they never remember getting to the end of it um my voice i think sends many people to sleep at the <laughs> 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 so it's great insomnia even without curing yeah, i think there's a compliment in there somewhere <laughs> so um Anna, is this sort of linked to, um, obviously, manifest manifestation is quite a buzzword, you know, manifest love, manifest success, manifest money, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if you've read the book, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I liked it because it wasn't just about wealth. It was a lot about what you're talking about, you know, mindset mastery, really, and, and how a lot of very successful, wealthy people have mastered their minds. And um, there was one bit that really stood out for me. Um, and it was when he was actually talking about manifestation. And I think he said something like manifestation is when you connect desire plus belief so like desire the vision of what you want but it that alone isn't enough you have to believe it um and that really struck a chord with me a few moments ago when you spoke about it's not just about changing the narrative and the images but it's about shifting the core belief you have to have both is that is that right is that how it works with your work yeah absolutely i mean your beliefs um, at first i mean very much first you make your beliefs so when you're younger you make your beliefs hmm. then as you're older your beliefs make you so you wow. start off with your core beliefs and then essentially they make you are who you are in your life. So if, you know, when you're growing up and, for example, your parents say, this is a common money doesn't grow on trees or, you know, we haven't got money to do this. We haven't. And you kind of you come with the belief that money is hard to come by. So then when you get older, that's fulfilled because you find you, you tell yourself money is hard to come by. So possibly you don't you don't go for the job or you don't you don't find it an easy natural thing to do and you, I get a lot of people with success blocks where I had this one woman in particular she was running um, a very successful business but she'd always get to that stage where she wanted she was looking for the, the level of investment she'd always get to the stage of the investment and then would self-sabotage she was mm. sabotage it just wouldn't work mm. so she came to me just being frustrated with the fact that she had this block and she was like I don't know where it's come from mm. Um, and we went back and it had those same same core beliefs where I think it was a, there was like greedy, uh, rich people are greedy. Yeah. So associating, she had the belief that rich people were bad and she had this belief that was then blocking her and she didn't mm. even know she had it. And that's mm. the case with most most beliefs. You don't know where it's come from. Yeah. Um, 
then after that we re we interrupted it we reinstalled new beliefs um which were which were a lot more positive mm. and within a month she'd got the signed memo for the for investment she got a um, franchise agreement for abroad and she got to see new clients and she was she was um, happy to say the least oh my gosh that's incredible emma um and it's interesting that it I mean, to what extent do people know what their um, block is or their belief? Do you find that people come to you and, and sometimes they don't even know what the block is? Is that something that you help people discover? Yeah, totally. I mean, that, well, that's what it is. I mean, when we go back to the scenes um, that link to the issue today, sometimes they know what they are. So they know b- before they come in. And the subconscious mind always takes you exactly to the right ones. Mm. Um but then it's wow. linking it together and then in that state to be able to change it. But you get some other people, they don't even, until the scene comes to them, they're suddenly like, oh my God, I haven't even thought about that in years. Wow. They, you know, they haven't, they haven't thought about it. And then they're like, God, that one thing led to how I am today. Like there was oh this one um, girl in particular, she, she, had, she, was, she found love really hard to come by. And um, it went down to this core belief that when she was three, like, Disney has a lot to, to answer for. But she associates happy ever after with being a princess. Mm. And a princess had long blonde hair and was um, beautiful. And a prince was needed to give her her happy ever after. So she believed she needed a man to make her happy. Yeah. That was her belief. And then when she was three, her parents took her for her birthday to have her hair cut and they cut it all off. And she had this belief that she was no longer beautiful. She was no longer feminine and that she wouldn't have a happy ever after so she spent her whole life trying to grow her hair long and blonde and um, become that and then when she did she got the man and there was no happy ever after she was like god so actually this I had this belief which is totally wrong because that doesn't give you a happy ever after yeah and um, yeah she 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 couldn't believe that it came from the fact she'd had her hair cut that she wasn't deserving of love and it was wow fascinating journey that one gosh that really is it's i love hearing about the kind of um sort of private tales about your clients it's fascinating um in terms of um what was that anna totally absolutely well you're not naming names are you so it's totally fine um and i'm quite intrigued every time you mention regressing people it just sounds so mystical and like um fascinating is it, how hard it is how hard it is it to kind of put people under do people often think oh that won't work for me Anna you know you can't sort of put me into that sort of different theta state there are some people who just say they cannot be hypnotized They're like no no I, I can't be hypnotized I'm not one of them but I think I think people have a very distorted view of hypnosis um yeah. I think everyone imagines stage shows with Paul McKenna and that where they get up on stage and they become chicken yeah. um which isn't what this is you're very much in control in fact you're probably more in control because you're you're more awake so when i take them back into a hypnotized state i always describe it as it is a very natural state but it's the most Mm. natural state it's like when you get really absorbed in a book Mm -hmm. or if you you know when you drive somewhere and you get to the destination you can't quite remember getting there but you you've just done it naturally Mm. it's that kind of very focused inward state that you're Mm -hmm. in and um it's just really a relaxed state and people often have a misconception. They're like, well, I had one one guy who had OCD and he kept checking the door. He'd go back all the time, could check in the door about 50 times. And I did the session with him and I did a follow-up a week later and I was like, how, how'd it go? And he's like, well, I wasn't hypnotised, um, but I haven't touched the door since. 
And I was like, wow. <laughs> I don't know what you did. And I was like, you were hypnotized. <laughs> That's so funny. You were just really relaxed. <laughs> wow. So is it, if you, when you are hypnotized, because I remember once speaking to a hypnotist, I can't remember what it was about now. Um, but I sort of still felt quite in control and conscious, whereas I think I'd had this sort of idea of, you know, you know, this, this sort of clock in front of you, watch this thing and <laughs> completely drifting off into a completely other universe, lying on a couch, you know, like they do in films. Is it quite different to that then? It's very different. I mean, I've had some old, some older, old, older people who need the toilet during it. So, you know, they very much just come out and they go to the toilet, come back, go back down. Yeah. It's just a very relaxed state where essentially you're, you're unlocking your subconscious and your subconscious is not a critical mind. So you're, mm. you just become less critical and you, you answer nat very naturally. And we have a, it's obviously there's the conversations during it. So you're very awake. Um, and I have some people, especially people who, do like to be in control mm. i actually teach them how to self-hypnotize first because oh. then they feel that they're in control mm. um so we do it so we, i practice them into it and um, they learn how to do it and then they put themselves in and then they feel that they're in control which ultimately you are but they just like to feel that they've done it wow that's really so. interesting i like the way you take that bespoke approach and um i'm just sort of putting myself into the minds of listeners here anna do you think um I mean, some people might be thinking, oh, rapid transformational therapy, that's for you if you're depressed or anxious um, or struggling with some sort of disorder. And then I'm also thinking of the other sort of profiles that you describe where people might be, well, adults might be walking around essentially as kind of traumatized children, really, um, maybe unaware that they're quite traumatized and maybe are quite sort of messed up, you know, in the kindest possible way. What sort of, what sort of different faces and people do you work with? Is it quite a spectrum? Is it one type of person? Is it always obvious that they need help in inverted commas? No, not. I mean, a lot of it is just a life up. A lot of people just want a life upgrade. They're aware that they're not mm. fulfilling their full potential. They're aware that mm. somewhere there's a limiting belief that they've created. I mean, it can be with a lot of people. It can be anything from self-esteem. It can be to confidence. Mm -hmm. I have some people because we we create these beliefs when we're younger and they then hold us back in later life. And so for example, God, I'm using those examples here. No, please do, go ahead. <laughs> speaking is a good one. Every, you know, I, I've had a client come to me and he had to do, he had to do a speech at a funeral and he actually said, I would prefer to be in the coffin than doing speech oh, because wow. public speaking is one of the most scary things yeah. for a lot of people. And mainly because of the fear of rejection. Mm. Um, and when we regressed him, it was he went back to being at school, and I think we can all kind of appreciate this one. And he he was at the front of the class, and he was having to read in front of the class, and he mucked up his words, oh. and the children all laughed at him. Not only the children, but the adult laughed at the teacher laughed at him as well. Oh. And so his brain was then like, "You are never doing that again." It's like that has caused you so much pain. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep you away from that situation. You're never standing up in front of people again. So every time he would go to do it, like you know work situation or wherever he he would get anxiety his brain would like be like no you're not doing this you're going to get anxious you're going to get sweaty palms we're going to keep you away from doing that we're wow. going to put you in a situation where you don't want to do that and that happens to so many people yeah so it's then it's then changing that belief within within um, a hypnotized state and afterwards you know and even if you don't have to love something but the opposite to hate isn't necessarily love it's indifference so it's yeah. being indifferent yeah and one of the you know rejections one of the biggest fears for all of us because it goes back to tribal times you know when um when we used to be in tribes you used to 
live in your tribe and if you you have to be part of a tribe to survive so you mean you couldn't build a dwelling on your own you couldn't you know hunt on your own you had to do all of it within a tribe and the punishment for for for, do, for not conforming would be rejection and rejection mm. would equal death however mm. we haven't upgraded our software since that time internally and so we you know rejection isn't death nowadays it's rejection it, it can hurt but you know you're not going to die from it yeah. but we still have that innate fear of rejection um because we we desire connection because connection equals equals living and yeah. um so yeah that's that that's always a strong one and you know especially with public speaking but actually the the only person who can no one can reject you you just don't let it in which is which is a common theme mm. that you you know people can say terrible things to you but you know it's someone's opinion mm -hmm. ultimately it's someone's opinion it doesn't have to be your opinion mm -hmm. and it's, it's difficult because we all care what people think but if you you don't let in you say thank you for your opinion and you just don't let it in that's, yeah that's uh, absolutely gosh mm -hmm. so much good you could do i like the way that you you kind of debunked a sort of an assumption that i had that you help a certain type of person who's very very stuck and maybe sort of in disordered zone but i like the way you describe your work as also just helping people like up level their lives it's almost like I don't know, like a car clean, taking your car in for like a, a lovely inside out clean and that wonderful feeling where you're like, oh, damn, I feel like so much better or like a fresh haircut, but obviously with much more kind of beneficial results. <laughs> it is. And it's, I mean, I've worked with a few people recently um, who they've got to an age in their life and they just feel unfulfilled. Yeah. And so I do something with where we kind of go back and we work out what their life purpose is. Yeah. I mean, in the Western world nowadays, we very much strive for money over following our heart's desire or our happiness mm -hmm. and then you get to a certain age hence midlife crises because yeah. you, you're not happy and it's because you followed what you think you should do for school like you go to school you're put in a system you do a degree because you feel you should not necessarily because you love studying economics as I did yeah. So before I was actually a therapist, I used to work in marketing for, um, for West End Theatre and Film mm. and I ran a boutique agency and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't filling my heart's desire. <laughs> and the bit I did like about it and what I worked out was I loved the psychology behind marketing and how you can get into people's minds and how, you know, ultimately people don't buy a product because you know it's necessarily the best they buy it because of a feeling that it makes them feel aspirational it makes them feel a certain way mm -hmm. i mean i'm i'm absolutely <clears throat> institutionalized now by apple products i think the samsung are apparently a lot better but i will never go there because i feel i feel very tuned to my apple i'm very um loyal maybe that's yeah. partly because also i don't know if i'll be able to use another bit of technology <laughs> but it's very into it because it was the cool brand you know it looked good it, yeah you know and so I, I, I realized when I started looking at what I was happy doing and I studied the mind for years because um, I, I had a spinal leak when I was 30. It was horrific and I had three operations and my mum threw me a book, um, The Secret, because she, she was like, you know, I don't really know what to do. I can't fix you because nothing's working. She's like, but I, you know, I've been told this is a good book. And so I read it and it was all about, it's very basic entry level, but it's about the mind and the placebo effect and how, you know, if you put mind over matter and you can, you can fix yourself. Mm. Actually, I do do that with a lot of, um, a lot of clients on a different level because you can actually program the mind to regenerate, to, to go back to its original 
setting. Mm. Um, and I had mind over matter and I did have another operation. So it wasn't all mind. But after that, mm. the leak, you know, I was in a better frame of mind. The leak cured. And um, wow. that started my journey into being fascinated with the power of the mind. And, That's you know, amazing. the placebo effect, which is very well and well known, is how most drugs are tested against the placebo, which has no effect. I think it's a sugar cube, essentially. Um, but that shows the power of the mind and they test things against that because if the mind is as powerful, yeah, which would it, which it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, then I went from yeah marketing to, to therapy because I was like, I actually, I love the mind. I love the thought of being able to cure people and help people and make such a difference in someone's life. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. And um, that's something that I, I think is really attractive about you, Anna. I mean, lots of things are very attractive about you, but um the fact that you've got this commercial background and, you know, you're very good at what you did previously. Um, you know, sometimes people, especially people who haven't had any contact with a therapist or anyone in the therapeutic space can have these sort of black and white images of someone who's very kind of softly, softly and woo woo. And, you know, you're very much a businesswoman as well as being, you know, fascinated by the human condition. And um, I'd love to hear a bit more about sort of business people that you work with. Is it is it just um, people outside that space or like what kind of work do you do? in that space, what kind of profiles do you work with and what kind of problems do you help people with there? Yeah, well, it can be any, I mean, within the workspace, there's such a variety of things. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who just want to up their, up their game. Um, there's some sort of block, whether it be a money block, a success block. A lot of the time people is, again, a lot of the time it is collaborating with the mind. You'll get some people, You well, actually you study the habit of successful people and successful people, work in a certain way you know they will they will choose they will choose to work weekends they will choose to do things they will choose to because they know the ultimate goal mm -hmm. is is going to be greater and they have this mindset whereby they choose to to work harder mm. you know we i have worked with some people who have a massive amount of procrastination they it's because and often well some of the the, the causes that i've i've dealt with Procrastination is often fear of failure. So your procrastination comes about to stop you failing. Wow. So for example, some people they're so worried about not not delivering or not achieving mm -hmm. that they tell their mind that that is the fear, which is the pain. So mm. the mind is like, I'm going to take you away from that. I'm going to take you, and you can rearrange your sock drawer, and it will find any kind of thing for you to do that is not the work because you have the fear of failing. Wow. So it's kind of switching around as well and. You know, it's yeah, it's it's fascinating. But a lot of successful people, you know, they have habits, they have behaviours. That like you know, they get a lot of them who do the five a.m. club. Not sure on quite that, but they 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 tell their mind, I'm choosing to get up at five a.m. because I'm choosing to be successful. Wow. You know, they 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 behave a certain way. They will they will do the most heinous task of the day first. Yeah. Because when you've got that hideous out of the way, wow, everything else is easy. Achieved your biggest achievement. You know. Wow. Anything compared to that, so. It's, I work with a lot of people shifting their mindset as well. So shifting how they think, shifting why they think a certain way and then getting them ultimately to just up their game. That's so interesting, Anna. Um, I just, yeah, that, that sort of case study of the, the success mindset and what those people do differently, I think is just so seductive to a lot of people. Um, fascinating. And I was really interested, Anna, with what you said about procrastination, um, because I sometimes, you know, work with people who struggle with procrastination. Um, which I've spoken to you about because I think some of my clients who are um, too stuck for coaching could actually really benefit from your help, you know, to get them unstuck so that you can then goal set effectively. 
Um, and it was interesting yeah. that, you know, you said procrastination can sometimes be sort of the symptom of a fear of failure. Is it a similar thing with, I mean, I've known quite a lot of very successful kind of A-type people who outwardly, you know, everything's ticking along, they're earning a lot of money and probably envied by a lot of people, but um, they might struggle with, um, you know, other other issues within, and that might manifest in different ways, like boozing too much, um, or sort of addictions, whether it's to drugs or alcohol or or other things. Um, is that is that a similar kettle of fish, or is is addiction something kind of completely separate? It's, it can be. Do I mean that you do find with addiction the addiction and a lot of different issues like that. So addiction to whether it be alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it is, hmm. it's because you need more of something because your root cause ultimately is you don't feel good enough. Hmm. And that's, the, that's one of the, the, the big things is that you don't feel enough. And so you want more of something else to fill that hole in you because okay. whether it be shopping, you know, you need you get people, I know a lot of girls who they don't feel good enough. So they'll buy more and more and more and more stuff because ultimately they don't feel good enough, but you're never going to feel fulfilled. That extra bag isn't going to do it. <laughs> the, the, the clothes, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's, um, you know, you, when you get a lot of women, and actually I have dealt with women who they just don't, they have the low self-esteem, but they do not feel good enough, so they will want more of everything. Yeah. And it's the same with addictions. A lot of the time they don't yeah. feel good enough, worthy enough, lovable enough. Wow. And That's... it's you know, that root cause and reframing it. And a lot of, you know, a lot of these issues come from unmet needs when you're younger. I mean, you yeah. imagine when we were, when we were in the womb, we, we had every need met. So we were in there and we had a, it was like being in a hotel. You had your food on tap. You know, you had um, warmth. It was like being on holiday. You had a heartbeat. You had constant connection. You had all of your needs met. And then you come out of the womb and whoa, yeah. <laughs> not all of those needs are met. You know, I have like, they go up very thinking they can, you know, you can have everything and you don't get a parent who sits there and says, you can have everything. You can have an abundance of absolutely everything. Nobody tells you that when you get out. You, like with my son for in particular, he, I was like, what do you want for your birthday? I know what do you want for Christmas? And he was like, oh, I want this and this, and I want the Minecraft thing and I want this. <laughs> and I sat there thinking, oh God, and he's like, it's okay. It's okay, mummy, because the elves make it. And um, so, you know, it's, it's not money. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> but it's that innocence of it. Then you have to say, you know, no, you don't, you can't have everything. But, yeah. You know, wow. you start to, yeah, these things, you, you have unmet needs or whether it be love when you've got constant love and a parent doesn't necessarily, like for example, children, if, if a dad leaves, sadly or whatever, the, the child often automatically thinks it's because of me. Mm, and gosh. so they'll then, Unmet, an unmet need of love and so that one that conditions because they their belief is my I wasn't good enough for my my dad he didn't want to stay because of me wow. you know why wow which is that's um that's fascinating Anna I remember once um knowing someone whose father had left when he was very very little again like you say between the ages of zero and three and I was amazed because I remember I was really impressed with his self-awareness he had a really quite an aversion to stress he would have want to avoid it at any cost um, and I remember him saying, that's because I experienced so much stress in my early years, even between the ages of zero and three, I was conscious of my parents arguing, my mum was really stressed, and that's why I avoid it at all costs. And I thought, Christ, you're emotionally intelligent. I'm really impressed. Very impressed. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people do know, kind of, they, they know why they're doing, doing things, but you get some people who, 
you know, it's learned, a lot of it's learned behavior. So if you're in that environment and, you know, a lot of people um, with anxiety, for example, they, you know, they are anxious because their mother's anxious. They learn that behavior. If their mother's incredibly anxious, that's how they learn to behave. You know, that's, that's normal for them. Yeah. So anxiety becomes something that they, they just have. Um, but, you know, is it, everything's learned, a lot of things learn behavior. And a lot of people, for example, they're like, oh, you know, we've just got the fat gene. Well, you haven't yeah. learned that that's your eating habits. That's you've learned yeah. to associate this with love. You've learned to. Yeah. It, it doesn't come from nowhere. You're taking all of the stuff in and creating your life from all wow. the outside environment, whether it be at home, whether it be at school, whether it be whichever, whichever area. It really is quite amazing, Anna, just how, like you say, how much we operate out of our subconscious. But I feel like, well, the majority of people would have no idea about how ruled we are by you know, what happens when we're little, um, do you think, do you think it will ever be the case that society will evolve in a way and education will evolve in a way whereby, um, well, firstly, that we'll have people like you delivering like parenting masterclasses at the earliest stage, ideally before people become parents. And secondly, that, um, you know, once we become old enough, you know, we're seeing a lot of mindfulness in schools that we can be educated again by people like you to better understand ourselves and to almost like crack ourselves open and understand, oh, this is why I procrastinate. Oh, this is why I drink. This is why I bought too many dresses during lockdown. I definitely didn't do that, by the way. <laughs> um, I can't help wondering whether society, um, you know, without going too extreme, you know, as per sort of the Prince Harry current case study, whether society could be really quite a different place um, in terms of like, you know, everything, even like criminality and things, if we had a much greater awareness of all the stuff that you're teaching us about now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is fascinating how slow they are to catch up with that. I don't know if you've ever seen... Um, Ken Robinson's TED Talk, I think it's number one on TED Talks. It's all about how, you know, education kills creativity and how schools are only there, you know, for one purpose. It's all just, you know, all, you're all judged on one thing to be, to test a certain way and to, that's, that's, that's how they do it. But, you know, I always use the analogy of, you know, you've got a dolphin, you've got a monkey, you ask them both to climb a tree, it makes the dolphin look pretty stupid. But actually, you know, with kids, for example, some might be incredibly amazing at dance and, and all that, but they're told by their teachers, you know, you're, you're crap at maths or you're terrible at maths mm -hmm. or you're bad at English or you're, you know, you're as children as well, if an adult imprints information on you, you believe it. Mm. So we kind of, we all come up with all these beliefs from what people just tell us. So, you know, you, you, you have a teacher at school who says, no, you're no good at English. You can't read well. You then tell yourself as a child, I can't read well, I'm not good at English. You might be very good at English, but that one comment can sit in your mind and imprint on you. Yeah. We have a parent who, I had a, a set of twins actually, and oh. it happens a lot. They, you get the two twins and there's the naughty twin and the nice twin. You tell one twin that they're the naughty twin, they will become what they believe they are. They become the naughty twin and yeah. the nice twin is the nice twin. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating because you, you know, you have to be care kind of careful how you, what you say to kids and stuff because they, they, they take that in and they, they run with it. They, they believe you, especially as adults. Yes. And that's, that's why I was, you know, always, if you're in the wrong, tell them you're in the wrong and admit it because um, yeah. they, they believe you. Absolutely. So if you're telling them and they start to question themselves, they will lose confidence in how, how they behave, how they act. And, that's such a good piece of advice, Anna. Um, it's interesting what you say about, you know, the way that, the way that as parents and society teachers, we can label people. Um, I certainly had that when, when I grew up, you know, you're bad at maths, you're good at the arts, and um, it's really damaging. You do believe it, you never forget it. Um, and similarly, I was recently um, actually 
doing some archery randomly outside and um, one of the teachers who was a great guy, um, I was just listening in on a conversation he was having with a couple and their two children. And, you know, I'm pretty lighthearted and have a, you know, great sense of humor and all, but I sort of balked inside because he turned to the children and he said, which one's the clever one and which one's the good looking oh. one? And I, I, I literally just felt sick inside. But then the parents actually said, oh, you know, yeah, he's the clever one. And I just thought, oh my gosh, you're literally watching exactly what you're describing happen, but you know, in front of other people. Hmm. Scary stuff. No, yeah. And it's not only when you have like, the, you have the children and the one, they often rebel because the clever one's like, I don't want to be the clever one. I want to be the pretty one. Yeah. And then, you know, but they're labeled that. And that's, that's, yeah, that, that can cause massive issues later. Oh my gosh. I bet it can. Um, and what happens, Anna? If, do you ever get people coming to you who say, oh my gosh, I, I'm really worried about my girlfriend or my son. Please, can you help them? Um, does that ever happen? And and if so, can it work? Or do your clients have to really want change? Or how does it work? Ultimately, the client has to want to change. You know, you can't yeah. take them in because they, I always describe it, you know, I always use it as, um, sorry, the analogy that I'm the doctor when I'm dealing with them and I diagnose the issue and then I'm the surgeon who changes it, but then they have to take the medicine. They have to listen for the 21 days. They have to want to participate in their yeah. recovery as such. But I have had people come to me with worry and then I will I will speak to the, the person. And, and ultimately, a lot of the time, they want to change. I had yeah. um, one, one gentleman who had massive anger issues and his wife uh, came to me and she was like, you know, I I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do she, he's a good person but he has huge anger issues and she's like i can't i can't go on like this and so i i, I said would he be open speaking to me because it won't really work otherwise i spoke to him and you know he he wanted to change he was very keen to change and um and we had an amazing session and afterwards you know i've got tons of testimonials on my website but he wrote me a lovely one and she had noticed the change in him he wow. didn't react very much I've got him you know you 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 actually don't react to things you know you you go into more of a sense of calm and actually some of the most angry people are the ones with the most unmet needs as a child because wow. the anger and frustration just comes out in later life and it, wow. was, it was sad to see what he'd been through but his needs, needs were so unmet as a child and it was like wow. you know as a child you need your parents to to feed you to love you to do all these things when you get older you don't need that you know, mm. it's, it's nice, it's lovely that they love you, but you can love yourself, mm. you can feed yourself, you can do everything for yourself, and you don't, you know, that's, you know, you've moved on. So it, it really revised and reframed how he felt about his life, and wow. actually he, uh, it's, yeah, it's, and it's permanent change, it's not, that's one of the things I always, I do always check in like a month later, a couple of months later, and see how, see how they are, and it's, it's permanent change, it's not just a, in the pan they feel good for a couple of weeks and that's it yeah that's amazing Anna um I mean there are just so many different groups in society you could really help transform you know going to train teachers and how you know the influence that they have over children and how to um inspire them and connect them with you know dreaming big and even the criminal justice system when you were speaking about that that guy that was so passionate um, powerful what you said about anger is often a symptom of lots of unmet needs as a, in a child and you think about criminality and you know it's all over the shop isn't it unmet needs and manifest in aggression and rage and then we just judge criminals obviously there's a spectrum and all you know some people are just you know evil maybe but um it does make you sort of rethink how we judge others doesn't it and how we judge ourselves when actually as you say when that guy understood why he was 
um, maybe struggling with anger, it, it must have brought him quite serious levels of relief to understand himself better. Absolutely. And when and that's often one of the things that comes out of a session. I mean, uh, when a session's over, genu generally, the first thing is just, wow, I can't believe that that's what, how I am. And, and yeah. often knowing where, why you are the way you are is a huge weight off your shoulders. And then obviously the, the other changes come gradually. And, and often a session, someone will come in to me for one thing. And when you get down to the root cause, it will then cure loads of other things in their life. For example, mm. if they have anxiety and stress and then weight problems, but they all link down to that same thing, yeah. that same root cause. And when you, it, when you eradicate that, it eradicates all of the different issues and they, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Sounds amazing. I can't wait to have a session with you. That <laughs> sounds brilliant. Um, we're coming to the end now, Anna, but um, I just thought of a question, which um, I'd love to know your answer. Um, Obviously, you sound like you absolutely love your work and you make a huge difference to a huge amount of varied people. Is there one particular case that you found particularly rewarding um, and gratifying? Yeah, I think it was my, my hardest one. It was quite early on and I didn't feel prepared. I had someone come to me about um, a, a boy who was 18 years old and um, he was having really intrusive thoughts, really bad thoughts, and he was on the edge of suicide. And I remember his his mum came to me and asked me if I could help. Um, and he, he was the youngest person I'd worked with at that that point. And also the severity of the situation was was worrying because I thought, you know, if I don't do this correctly, it's you know, it's someone's life. Yeah. And I had a session with him, and it was the most wonderful session. He was so responsive, and afterwards he was just like, I, I cannot, you've changed my life. Oh my like, he went back, he, the intrusive thoughts disappeared, the OCD ease, and his mum was beyond, beyond happy because she, she was just like, I've got my boy back. And I, that was one of those times when I, I was like, this is why I do what I do. Wow. Like, you know, this, that's really life changing. That's, Gosh. that's amazing. <laughs> that's, well, congratulations. That's incredible, Anna. It's like, the, what was going through my mind when you were saying that is there are so many wounded people walking around in the world who could be living, as you say, much up-leveled lives, and you're almost like the almost like the magician who comes in and helps bridge that gap, the sort of cracks and the pain and the wounds um, rapidly, just as you said, rapid transformational therapy. It's quite amazing. <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah. Thank so, you, <laughs> Anna. Um, if you had to, um, if you sort of had to say how you would define success, is w what does success mean to you? it's changed it's changed I think I mean I'm 40 now success when I was younger was very much about the job the the you know the career the the money the wealth but actually now it's about being happy um and there's a there's a lovely John Lennon quote I love him personally but it's where they the teacher asked him the meaning of life and um he said to be happy she said you didn't understand the question he said you don't understand the meaning of life Wow. Uh, ultimately success for me is happiness <laughs> yeah wow beautiful um and in terms of where <laughs> listeners can find you online anna um yeah where can they find you online yeah i mean my website is www.analancastertherapy.com mm -hmm. um but i'm also on social media so instagram at anna lancaster therapy or facebook at anna lancaster therapy very original i went there <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff, Anna. Um, and in terms of services, obviously, it's been fascinating hearing about these different case studies, whether imposter syndrome, you know, fertility issues, eating disorders, public speaking fears, 
corporate breakthroughs, you know, you name it, you can help with it really. Um, you mentioned before, before the podcast that you also um, do masterclasses sometimes for organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing one with a young enterprise network um, in the coming coming month, um, where basically I work with a group. So I, I do a bit of a talk on the issues and then I'll put everyone into a group hypnosis. And wow. it's, it's not quite as deep as a, as a one-to-one, but mm-hmm. it, gets, it gets results and it certainly gets people thinking about how they can change their mindset wow. and move forward. So I do a lot of masterclasses too. I, I love that. I love seeing change. With, I actually love watching people when they're all in hypnosis and just that, that thought afterwards and seeing them all walk out, talking to each other, going, oh my God, this is what came back to me. This is what wow. came back to me. How fascinating. It's like you sort of open up Pandora's box and see deep inside people. Yeah. It's, it's quite amazing. Um, and Anna, obviously it's been locked down and I know that you've been doing sessions online, but how's it working now? Are you doing online, in person? And if so, where? Yeah, I do a bit of both. So I do Zoom so I can do kind of worldwide clients. Mm-hmm. Um, varying times of the day and night mm-hmm. um, but I also do I have a clinic in Belgravia in London and a clinic in um, Mayfair as well also London but mm. I will also do it um, in Surrey where I actually live brilliant well it's been so fascinating talking to you Anna I could just talk to you all day frankly <laughs> um, so thank you so much for coming on and talking to us it's been incredible hearing all your insights and hearing more about the miraculous work you do frankly Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good. Well, um, yeah, hopefully we'll reconnect again and um, hear more from you in the future, Anna. But um, yeah, congratulations on the amazing work you're doing. You obviously touch a lot of people and make a huge difference to their lives. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. And it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And I look forward to working with you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm chomping at the bit. Cannot wait. <laughs> Take care, Anna. Thank you.